In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I suppose this, uh, the gospel for today is the best known and probably the most exploited parable that Jesus ever told. It's the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan, uh, that much-loved bourgeois interpretation that awards the title Good Samaritan to every charitable act without the slightest reference to the elements of the story itself is possible only by ignoring the context. Last year, I told you about the fashion model, uh, or the fashion student, accidental model, uh, in New York City who fainted in this, on the subway track, and then the next day, the newspapers declared that a quick-thinking Good Samaritan uh, 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 came to the rescue and halted the train. Uh, and, and then, again, by the way, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, it is against the law, literally, not to be a Good Samaritan. So, you see, the word is muchly misused, much misused. And uh, we, uh, so I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about the Good Samaritan. What I want to talk about is that very first verse, and then at the very end we'll put the Good Samaritan in context. First verse being, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see uh, those things which ye see and have not seen them. What was Jesus talking about? Uh, what had his disciples actually seen? One of the first things that we can say, obviously, is that it is a blessing because he says, blessed are the eyes which see. Furthermore, it is a particular blessing upon those who were actually there with Jesus and were in fact eyewitnesses. His disciples saw things at that moment, those around him, especially his, in particular his disciples that he was mentoring, saw things that prophets and kings had longed to see but had, to see but had not. Uh, this is a blessing that cannot possibly extend to the whole church because it's an event. It's a single event. Other blessings, all of the blessings of the gospel flow from real-time events in our Lord's life and extend to the whole uh, church in time and place. So Thomas the Apostle misses out on the uh, first uh, uh, Sunday of the resurrection, uh, and then he, but he shows up for the second week where our Lord appears in the upper room, and the Bible says Thomas believed, then Tom, Jesus spoke to him directly and said, Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. The blessing of salvation uh, is not a matter of being an eyewitness, uh, those who saw him that first Easter Sunday morning believed and were blessed with salvation and those who have never seen him in the flesh or laid eyes upon him and yet believe yesterday, today, and forever are also blessed with the very same salvation. But the event preserved for us today is a peculiar one. Uh, uh, it, Jesus is uh, saying to these eyewitnesses who were blessed in a way that only those who were at the right place and the right time could have been blessed. It's a wonderful thing. So I want to explore it. Uh, and blessed are the eyes. Well, what is it? Uh, this, is an, this is an unrepeatable blessing. But even still, we don't know what it is. What is it that they saw that others did not? In order to discover that, we have to... Go back to the beginning of Luke 10, which preserves an account of, uh, a, 
of a turning point in our Lord's ministry uh, that has come to be known as the sending out of the 70. But Jesus sent out two by two uh, uh, his apostles into every village that he was about to go into himself. And he gave them authority to heal the sick in his name and to tell the people the kingdom of God has come. That was their job and that's what they did. And later on when the 70 returned from their mission, they were euphoric. Uh, and could not wait to tell Jesus the good news. Lord, they said, even the demons are subject to us in thy name. Uh, Jesus immediately provided some instruction and pastoral care to his disciples. This is what he said. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I have given you authority to trample down serpents and scorpions. I have given you authority over the power of evil. But do not rejoice that spirits are subject to you. Do not fall under the spell of power. That's exactly what Satan did. Instead, be happy that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life, recorded in heaven. Uh, when Jesus sent the 70 out, he told them, heal the sick. Tell them that the kingdom of God has come upon you. And by healing the sick, but especially by casting out demons, Jesus and his disciples gave proof that the kingdom of God had in fact come, starting right there in Israel with his chosen band of preachers and exorcists. In the argument, in an argument later on with the Pharisees, our Lord says, If by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, when Jesus told the 70 that he'd given them authority to trample down serpents, uh, uh, that would have reminded them, certainly some of them, it certainly reminded them later on as they reflected upon it, uh, it would, uh, of, the, of the book of Genesis, the first three chapters, and, and the statement that our Lord made to the serpent after the fall, that I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel, which is... The gospel in miniature right at the very beginning. Not only did Jesus, who was the seed of the woman, crush the head of the serpent, but then he also gave his disciples his authority to crush the serpents they encountered. Now, obviously, we're not talking about, we talk about serpents in Genesis, and here we're not talking about reptiles. Uh, these represent evil entities powers, principalities, Satan and his angels. So by giving the 70 his authority to join him, listen to what I'm saying, to join with him in crushing the serpent's head, Jesus has reasserted humanity's vice regency over creation. That's just one thing I want you to remember. Because that vice regency, which was vested in Adam, and the rest of us was lost in the file in, in, in the fall. Was well, not really lost, but it was misused and has continued to be uh, misused. But Jesus reasserts humanity's vice regency in creation. And Jesus war against Satan in a matter of speaking, Luke is D Day. Three quarters of you probably don't know what I'm talking about. I just realized that. Uh, you can Wikipedia it and find out. D-Day, big, important 
important event. It's D-Day. The 70 preachers and the exorcists were the first wave of Christ's faithful soldiers, the warriors of the kingdom of God hitting the beach. And that is what the prophets, this is it, this is the money payoff right here. That's what the prophets wanted to see. That had not happened before. And now here it has happened, uh, and Jesus gives human beings authority over Satan, over evil, over sickness, uh, and he sends them out. And it is that event, the kingdom of God coming in the world and trampling down evil, sin, and death that they had longed to see. Now please note that the kingdom is come, has come. It's not expected to come, it has already come. What Jesus proclaimed uh, is that the kingdom has come, that a new and happy state of being has come upon all creation through Jesus. Uh, and all of the prophets and kings had longed to see that. The kingdom of God was coming, uh, and the creature was joining God in this war against uh, evil. Now, at this point, something else happens in Luke. This is the context of where we are. They come back, 70 come back, and then something else, a remarkable thing occurs. Listen to this. In that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. That's a fascinating phrase. Rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, and he said, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to babes. After hearing the report of the 70, Jesus himself is in the Spirit which is a fascinating thing to say about the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Uh, when St. John wrote the book of the Revelation, uh, he, he began by saying, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And John received the Revelation. But Jesus had no Revelation to receive because he is the Revelation of God. Now, this is a key moment uh, in his in his ministry when he rejoices in the Holy Spirit. And this is, uh, it is, uh, it's a key moment and his response rejoicing is reflected in his own teaching to his disciples when he says, rejoice in God and not in power. As he contemplates uh, the work of God in bringing his perfect will to pass, and making man his vice regent again. Jesus is suddenly and profoundly, Jesus is moved emotionally in his humanity. The word that's used here uh, is so strong that it conveys the experience of exuberance, of liveliness, of, of springing, of leaping. Uh, it would have been a physical manifestation you would have seen and said, he's a happy man, if you had seen him. Uh, what is described as a kind of experience that we have uh, when laughter. This is, this is what is, is in this word that's used here, rejoice. It is a sort of experience that we have when laughter and tears just sort of take over. Jesus is no guru. Uh, Jesus is no uh, detached Buddha. Jeremy Taylor, a great Anglican divine who was persecuted by the black-hearted 
Cromwell wrote, We never read that Jesus laughed, but once he rejoiced in the Spirit. You know, I think Taylor is too shy. Jesus' joy is a perfect natural joy, uh, and at the same time, a perfectly supernatural. As the Son of Mary, the Holy Spirit enables his very human joy that cannot be contained uh, and, and must be expressed in words and even in his body. As a son of God, his joy is in his knowledge, perfect love for his Father. As a son of Mary, his joy is charged with our common human emotions. He is ecstatic. As a son of God, his joy is his perfect, serene trust and love and understanding and, uh, of his father. And it wasn't a surprise to him. He knew this was coming. Listen, often our joy comes as a surprise. C.S. Lewis wrote that book, that wonderful book entitled Surprise by Joy. A lot of you have read that. Uh, joy is frequently a surprise. Jesus' joy is his knowledge and love as, as Father and his Father's will. I'll give you an example, though, of how this is, how this joy uh, takes over. A mother and a father rejoice like never before at the birth of their child. Uh, a birth of a child is not a surprise. Pregnancy may be a surprise, but the birth of the child isn't a surprise. Parents have prepared for the child's birth for nine months. Uh, but when the day comes that the child is born, their joy is released upon the whole world. It's released upon the child, upon one another. And you're walking on a cloud. And so it is with Jesus. The kingdom of God was born into the space-time continuum. He wasn't surprised, but when it came forth, his human and divine joy was released. The joy of the blessed Trinity was released upon all creation. The Father poured his joy into his Son, and the Son receives the Father's joy, and then the Son poured their mutual joy and love into the Holy Ghost, and then upon his disciples. This experience of joy physically manifested is the spirit of the word of God made flesh. And he emptied his whole life, his whole experience of joy, his truly human, physically manifested joy. And he emptied all of that into uh, God the Father and upon creation. In that hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not hear, heard them. And this is the context of the Good Samaritan, which means that the Good Samaritan is not a story about being merely kind and considerate, which, by the way, are very fine things in themselves. But that's not what this story is about. It's a story, it's a kingdom parable. In light of the fact that the kingdom of God has come, 
and Jesus' disciples have authority over evil and have been reinstated as human. He has reinstated humanity's co-regency over creation. The question is not who is my neighbor. The question is how do I live as a child of God in the kingdom of God? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.